0: Direct your attention to verse number 8. It says this. Indeed, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly. That they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. And then it finishes the verse with this sentence. These things are good and profitable unto men. Now we're going to back up and look at these previous seven verses... And find out what Paul was talking to as he addresses Titus. Of these good and acceptable, I'm sorry, good and profitable things. Let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you for the word of God that instructs us, at times reproves us, and teaches us. May the spirit of God be our great teacher tonight. And help us to understand the word of God. And may we not just understand it. In our minds, but may it sink deep within our hearts and obey it as you reveal things unto us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to back up and begin in verse number 1. Though we're not going to spend much time on verse 1, pastor spent several weeks considering this idea or this subject that Paul addresses here when he says to Titus, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. So he begins by saying that you ought to submit yourself to authority, and here he speaks expressly on government, the authority of government. The pastor spent several weeks, as most of you remember, talking about where does the, um, the, the line of government and restrictions apply and not apply to believers, and very simply um, stated that whenever it affects the Word of God or it goes contrary to the Word of God, God always wins. He's, he's always to obey, uh, be obeyed. In fact, that's what Paul said um, at times, and the apostle says it's better to obey God than men, and they chose to uh, go against government, go against authority when it came to obeying the Word of God and preaching the truth think we ought to do the same thing. But in a practical sense, there ought to be a level of, as believers, there ought to be a level of submission to those in authority. Now, when you consider this, it's easy for a parent to look at their child and say, Joseph, you ought to obey your mom. I told Joseph I was going to pick on him tonight. This is just the beginning. That's easy to say. For me to say to my children, God says in Ephesians, children, obey your parents in the Lord The first commandment was this, honor thy father and thy mother. The first commandment directed toward children. That's easy to say. But when it teaches us in places like this that we as employees ought to be in submission to our bosses at work, all of a sudden it becomes more difficult, wouldn't you agree? For us to obey the authority or obey the rules when we go out in certain places and we find ourselves in maybe a business or a a private place... Where, when we arrive, the the owner of that private institution is able to enforce rules, and sometimes it goes against our desires. But God says you ought to submit to those in authority over you. And then He says at the end of that verse one, to be ready to every good work. Now that phrase "good work" comes up multiple times in this book. We find it's a very short ver- uh, book, only three chapters. But in verse seven of verse one, um, chapter one, chapter two, rather, He says. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. Verse 14, it says, toward the end of the um, chapter, he calls us to be a peculiar people, zealous of good works. The verse we read in chapter 3 and verse 8, he talks about maintaining good works. And then at the end of the chapter, verse number 14, he says, Let ours also learn to maintain good works. Now, he doesn't specifically address this matter of good works... ...though in these next few verses we'll see multiple good works. But he says as believers, as we submit ourselves to authority... ...it sets us up to be in a place where we can maintain or show forth good works. Because if we fail in this first matter to have the pride or the arrogance... ...to say no one's going to tell me what to do... ...we we pretty well have just established who we are... And the good works that follow are going to be like the good works of the Pharisees. They're going to be shallow. They're going to fail to really make a difference and impact on people's lives. And then we come to verse number two, which really gets difficult. If you're here and you're a human being and you don't struggle with some of the things that come up here, I I congratulate you. But I think all of us will find things in these next few verses that... ...will maybe cause us to be reproved. In verse number 2, it says... ...and, and by the way, he, he tells us there in verse 8... ...he says, these things are good and profitable unto men. He tells him to teach this. This is a faithful saying, he said. Here's what some of them are. In verse 2, he says, to speak evil of no man. Now, if you don't find that to be a challenge... ...you don't have the same mindset that I do. Because I find it at times... ...a challenge not to speak evil of people... Now, typically, I don't speak evil of people in this room. You you all are exempt. Sometimes. Most of you. But when you leave this place, as I was telling my wife on the way here, I was driving down the highway, and there was a man in the fast lane, in a real nice... He was in a Corvette, going about three miles per hour under the speed limit. Unacceptable. And... So we finally decided we're going to get in the slow lane and go around him. His, his plates were from Arizona. So I assumed he thought that the left lane was the slow lane in Missouri um, or something like that. So I get in the right lane. Well, he starts speeding up. I was speeding up to pass him. He starts speeding up. And so I, to my knowledge, he, he was either getting tired from his long travel or he was one of those drivers that are talking and they slow down and then they realize and they speed up. You know, you get behind one of those guys. So I'm next to him. And he decides, all of a sudden, he puts his blinker on and nearly takes out my, if you see my minivan, you understand why I was so particular about it. But he, I mean, came as close as he could to sideswiping me. It was very easy to use those friendly words of, you idiot, right? Now, God tells us here, and I don't think necessarily this is... How it applies specifically, but he says to speak evil of no man. Now, when Paul wrote this, some of you are thinking he didn't know my boss. Or maybe you're thinking he didn't know my husband. Or he didn't know, you know, my neighbor. But here he says, very easy to be understood, to speak evil of no man. Now you say, why is that why is that so important? Because we as believers have been commissioned to speak spread the good tidings of salvation. We've been commissioned as believers to exhort and to encourage and to build up. How are we going to influence believers? How are we going to influence the lost if we don't know when to speak good and when not to speak evil? He says very plainly, let's just not speak evil of any man. Now, some of you, to obey that, would you do well by not watching anything political right now. Because it's easy when someone speaks evil of someone who you're rooting for or campaigning for to just immediately speak evil of them. But even for those in politics, he just finished by saying those magistrates, those in power, and then he says speak evil of no man. He continues. He says to be no brawlers. Now maybe most of you can say, I got this one down. I'm not, a fighting, uh, I'm not the fighting type. I don't naturally want to pick fights everywhere I go. Some of you, on the other hand, um, have that attitude where you'd rather just fight them opposed to look at them. But he says, now he's speaking to Titus, the the preacher, the leader of uh, the church here at Crete. He tells us that in the first few verses, where Paul leaves him at Crete to, to encourage the believers there to appoint elders, ordain them, and to preach the gospel. And you say, well, this is to a preacher, Yes, but remember, look in verse 14. We, we looked at the word good works, but he says, he's talking about Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things, he's talking to Titus, these things speak in, with, uh, with all authority. Let no man despise thee. The things that he's teaching Titus, he wants to be taught to the believers. He tells us to speak evil of no man. He tells us to not be a brawler. Instead, you say, well, I'm not a fighting type, but look at what it says. It says, instead, but be gentle. Now, m- maybe some of the ladies say, that's, that's me, that's my personality, I'm a gentle type. But remember, he's talking to Titus, instructing him to talk to the believers there at Crete. So he includes the men to be gentle. Now, typically, when we think of gentleness... We probably think of it stretching from what he's talking about. I don't know that he's talking about any form of weakness or any type of maybe, you know, peculiar attitudes or, or feelings, but he's just saying simply, be, instead of fighting, instead of brawling, be thoughtful, be gentle, be courteous, be kind. He could have just said and skipped all these verses and just said, be Christ-like. Because remember, that's how Christ was. When his disciples time and time and time didn't get it, he was still gentle and patient with them. When the Pharisees continually uh, tried to bring accusations against them, though there were times where he was stern, there were times where he was uh, direct, he was always gentle with them. He was always thoughtful. He was never rude. He was never inappropriate. And and Paul says to Titus, teach the believers to simply be like Christ, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawler, but to be gentle. And then look at how how it finishes this verse. Showing all meekness, and here it is again, unto all men. All men. He says show meekness. Meekness is a kind patience toward all men. Where you're willing to sacrifice your time and expense of their time. When they're being rude and you're still showing kindness. Where they're getting angry but you're still being peaceable. I read in the Psalms where just uh, the other day, you probably read too if you're going through uh, our Bible schedule, where uh, David writes and he says, I am for peace and they are for war. He said, I speak peaceable things and they get, basically he says they get angry. Sometimes you're going to come across those people Sometimes you're going to confront those people. Sometimes you're going to meet those people. Some of you might live with those people. But he still says to all men, be peaceable, be agreeable, be patient. Now, some of you, maybe you are thinking specifically of a neighbor or a co-worker or a family member or an acquaintance or a classmate. And you think, how am I supposed to be meek or patient with this person they don't deserve meekness, or they, they don't qualify as being one that is able to receive meekness. But God still says, he instructs us to show meekness to all men. By the way, that's not just talking about the male gender. That's talking about hum- humanity, right? That's talking about young people. Show meekness to teenagers. Parents, you ought to show meekness, patience with your teenagers. You should say amen back there. You should show meekness to your your teenagers. By the way, teenager, you ought to show meekness to your parents. You ought to be patient with your parents. Sometimes you feel like their rules don't apply, but you ought to be patient with that. You ought to be submissive to that. You ought to speak no evil of that. And then he teaches us why. And here's the why is always the important thing. Look at verse 3. He says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish. He's talking past tense. When you were unsaved, you were just as foolish as those people you want to get upset with. You were, with, you were without God too. You, there was times where there's people in this room tonight where there was a time in your life where you could say, I didn't know any better. I wasn't taught the word of God. I didn't know the truth. Maybe you were in a religion that was false or maybe you were just distant from any type of religious activity, and you were running from God, or you were being rebellious. He says those same people who you want to speak evil of, those same people who you want to be impatient with, that was you at one time. He says you were sometimes foolish, and he keeps going, disobedient. He said you were disobedient. You disobeyed the word of God. You disobeyed the truth. We'll look at this probably in, uh, again in a moment, but in verse number 11 of chapter 2, he says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. God's grace has been given to all men, but before you were born again, you were rejecting that. You were pushing away the great sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. You were disobedient. He says, You are foolish. You were disobedient. You were deceived. He said you had been duped. You'd been tricked by the devil. You'd been tricked maybe by yourself. You thought you had all the answers. You thought you knew the right way. You thought you had it all together, but you were deceived. Foolish, disobedient, deceived. Paul's not going easy on him. He keeps going. Serving diverse lusts and pleasures. He said you were a servant to your sins. To the old nature, to the lustful desires, you are a slave to them. He said, you want to be angry or frustrated or or speak evil of the drunk? He said, some of you were drunks before you got saved. He said, some of you were in jail before you got saved. And by the way, but for the grace of God, we'd all been there. But for God's grace, so go we today. And Paul says... Just like they, you look at them and you say they're deceived and they're foolish and they're disobedient. And all they do is serve themselves the diverse lusts that come from within. He says, that's exactly where you were. And that's the road you were on before Christ met you. And before you repented of your sin. He keeps going though. He says, diverse lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy. He says, you were malicious. You you had evil thoughts toward other people. You you thought bad on other people. You wanted to get revenge. You, You were spiteful and you were envious. You wanted what they had. You wanted, even if it meant I got to, you know, push them out of the way. If it means I've got to lie to get the promotion, I'll lie about them to get the promotion. He says, that's where you were. That's not good enough. He says, you're also hateful and hating one another. You say, well, I I was never hateful or I didn't hate people. That's what the Pharisees told Jesus. And then remember, he reminded them. He said, if you've or or they, they said they'd never murdered. He said, if you hate someone in your heart, even if it's not outward, he said, you've committed murder in your heart already. He says, all these things that you look down on other people for... ...he says, that's exactly where you were. And if you weren't there altogether, that's where you were headed. By the way, if you don't think this is true... ...he, he missed one. He, he should have put it in there, and you were prideful. Because if you can't accept the fact that you were deceived before Christ... Th- ...there's pride separating you, and you may still be deceived. That's another thing the Pharisees said... They asked Jesus, they said, finally, they submitted in a sense, and they said, are we deceived also? And he said, if you don't think you have sin, or I think they asked if they were blind also. He, he said, if you don't think you have any sin, your sin remaineth. And yes, you're blind spiritually. And Paul writes to Titus, and he says, I want you to teach your people to be kind and thoughtful and go out of their way to help those who are helpless. And in case they have a problem with that, remind them The person that they need to help was where they used to be. And then he continues with some better news in verse number 4. He says, but after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. He reminds them, he says to Titus... Titus, you remind those people, those believers... If they're struggling with this and maybe they can't accept, or maybe even they're they're living in regret of the sin of their past. They're living with the remorse, and they just can't seem to get over their past because of all the mistakes they made. Remind them that the the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared to them. Jesus came to you when you were down there. Jesus came to you when you were in sin. He never made any, any requirements. He never said, you've got to do A, B, and C, and then I'll save you. He never said, you've got to quit doing this or quit doing that, and then I'll receive you. No, he came to you where you were in your sin, in your unbelief, in your diverse lusts and pleasures, in your disobedience. And he said, right where you are, I'll redeem you. As the psalmist said, he, he pulled me out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. If you've been born again, the new birth came when you were lost, when you were dead. In your sin. And he redeemed you unto himself. With what? With his kindness and love. The same thing he wants you to minister to others with. And then verse 5. Probably a familiar verse to most of us. Maybe one that you have memorized at one point or another. It says, not by works of righteousness which we have done. ...but according to His mercy He saved us... ...by the washing of regeneration... ...that's the new birth... ...the rebirth or the new birth... ...and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. This is a verse we often memorize or, or mark... ...to, to maybe uh, direct someone who believes... ...they've got to do some type of work... ...get baptized or um, become a member of a certain church... ...or do so many good works to get to heaven... He says very clearly here, he says, by the way, he reminds them, you were in sin, and so even if you attempted to get out of that sin and use your good works as leverage, you don't have enough good works to leverage your, your, your misconduct in the past. And he says, even if you tried, you would fail, but there's no reason to try because it's not, of, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. In fact, in Isaiah, he writes to the, 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 the nation and says... Our righteousness, our good deeds in the sight of God are like filthy rags. They're worthless, they're useless, and they're, they're filthy, they're soiled. God in His holiness, His purity, His glory cannot accept your good deeds on their own. Because they're mingled with sin. They're mingled with unbelief. I was listening to someone talk about a similar subject and... And I'd never thought up about it in this light, but think with me for just a minute and I'll try not to get too far off. If you were to take one of the students that go to our school and they receive a handbook, I think at the beginning of the year, or they used to, it's about this thick or so, maybe a little bit bigger, and that's got rules for attitude and dress code and so many demerits and if you've got to see Brother Jedi X amount of times, you get expelled and you know all that good stuff, no assassin, Mrs. Morocco, and you know, the important stuff. If you were to take a student and they were to read through the handbook and they say, I agree with everything in here except for this one thing. And they said, I'm going to do everything, but I am not doing this. Have they obeyed the authority? No. Have they obeyed the handbook? No. Now, on a test, that would work. 99. You get an A plus probably. But in life, when it comes to our attitude or or our refusal to submit, it's, it's an F, right? It's a failing grade. See, before we were saved, or even after we're saved, if we're trying to live up to a certain standard in our own flesh, it's like saying, God, I'm going to do everything you want except for this area. I'm not doing this. Right? Because he said already it's not by works of righteousness. So if you're trying to earn your salvation, you're saying, God, I'm going to obey the whole law, but what you say here, I'm rejecting this. Well, you haven't just rejected this one idea or this one principle. You've rejected his law. You've become a... Uh, 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 you you found yourself in violation to the Scriptures. You stand condemned. That's why our righteousness is insufficient. Because our righteousness is based upon our own judgment. But it's not about our judgment. It's about God's authority. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done... ...but according to His mercy, He saved us. By the washing of regeneration. See, when He came to you in mercy, you were undeserving... You deserve judgment, but He gave you life. You deserve death, and He gave you hope. You you deserved an eternity separated from Him, but He gave you eternal life in heaven with Him. It was through His mercy. And then He washed you. It says, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, the sins of your past were washed. Brother Seitz gave an illustration to some of the kids. Maybe they came home Sunday talking about the hand lotion that he gave them. It was, if if you were some of the kids, remember Sunday that he gave them? It looked like hand lotion. They rubbed it on their hands. Well, under a black light, it shows up this eerie white glow on their hands. And it's actually a a lesson for teaching people how to wash their hands correctly because you get them to wash their hands. And then after you put it under the black light, you see all the areas they failed to get good and clean. But he gave them an illustration and said, you know, our sin, we can have it washed, but sometimes the scars remain. Sometimes the guilt even remains. Sometimes the the reflection of who we were in the past remains to other people. And and there's some things in life you can't get over. But in our appearance before God, in regards to our relationship with God, our sins are gone. He washes them. Not us. We don't wash them. We, could, we, we would insufficiently wash our sin. But God washes them entirely. Look in verse number 6. He tells us what He did, washed us with, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He shed on us this mercy and love and goodness. He shed it on us abundantly, and it was through Christ. When you see the cross, when you consider the work of Jesus, you see the great love of God poured out in abundance upon us. And we find this cleansing through His blood. Verse 7 says that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You've been justified tonight. If you're saved in here, if there's a time in your life where you personally receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've been justified. You've you've been cleansed. You've been redeemed by the blood. Your sin is not on your account anymore in the eyes of God. You may remember it. Your friends may remember it. Your family may remember it. But God erases it. He forgets it. And And in His sight, He doesn't see your attempt to be righteous, nor does He see your sin. Instead, He sees the righteousness of Christ that's been put upon you. That being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then we find ourselves as heirs of the kingdom. One day, heaven's our home. He said to His disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be, all, uh, there ye may be also. One day, we're going to spend eternity in heaven. And then we come to verse 8 where we started. This is a faithful saying. And these things, the the faithful saying is that Christ is our our redeemer, right? The, The hope of eternity is ours. But then he continues and says, And these things I will that thou affirm constantly. Remind the people about them. Affirm them. Just be repetitive about it. Get annoying in telling them this is who they are. This is how they ought to be living. Not because they want to uh, somehow appease God or, or, or live up to this holy standard. But because it's our responsibility to make a difference in the world around us. Because who they are is where we would have been or where we were. And that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto all men. We're going to wrap this up in just a moment... ...but I just want to think real practically for a second. Imagine for just a moment... ...the person or people who influenced you with the gospel had not. Imagine if the parents that you had who taught you the word of God were not your parents and you were, the, you were the child of an unbeliever. Imagine the, maybe, witness who came to your house or the uh, co-worker who shared the gospel with you or invited you to church had not done their reasonable service in doing so. Imagine with me tonight that you never accepted Christ. Can you just... Use your imagination and wonder for a moment where you might be. Some of you would be in the same place as the people you saw this week. And whether you said it or not, you were tempted to speak evil of them. And so would I. We would all be, right? You may have been a decent citizen. You may have been an outstanding employee. But in God's eyes, you'd still be lost. But God in his mercy and a minister of righteousness, a minister of the gospel, whether it was a Sunday school teacher or a parent or a pastor or a friend, showed you love and showed you mercy and showed you hope through the word of God. Chances are they didn't say, you better straighten up and then I'll witness to you. No, they witnessed you where you were. And Paul says to these people, let's go find some people just like that. And let's show them the same love and compassion that someone showed you. Instead of speaking evil, instead of saying it's my life and I'm going to live it how I want. He said, how about showing mercy? How about putting yourself in submission? How about being meek and thoughtful and showing the love of Christ? that they too, through your influence and your words, might be brought to the Savior. He encourages us to maintain good works. And I think one of the best ways we can do that is by our, just our life's example, by doing the things he, he spoke of here. But it shouldn't stop there. Something that's really been on my heart as far as us as believers, and maybe you do this already, maybe all of you do, but I would really encourage you to be very faithful and dedicated to praying for one another. And praying for the needs of our church. What better way could you encourage someone or show meekness to someone or help someone as to pray for them? So you say, well, I could witness to them or I could speak Good to them. I could be kind to them. Those are all good things. But more than that, the, the, that they need you, they need, they need Christ, right? Now, God might use you to be a help to them. But more than he, God needs you to be a help to them, they need God to be a help to them. And one of the best ways to begin is just by simply praying for them. By the way, you begin praying for someone. You find someone that you are tempted to speak evil of. You, I dare you. Is that okay to dare people while you're preaching? I dare you. Spend the next week, the next seven straight days, and you pray for them. Pray for your enemies. That's what Jesus said. And I can pretty well guarantee you, if you do it with a right spirit, by the end of those seven days, you'll learn to love that person. Because as you're praying and trusting God and you begin to think about their needs, And you begin to pray that God would show mercy to them. And you're reminded that God showed mercy to you. And all of a sudden, they won't be someone you want to speak evil of. They'll be someone you want to reach with the gospel. Maybe it's a believer who's fallen away. Maybe it's a friend or a family member who has rebelled uh, authority, rebelled against God, and, and is just out in the world. Pray for them. Not just once or twice, but begin praying constantly for them. And then we have mentioned this, but don't stop there either. Let's be about witnessing and sharing the gospel with others. I know for many people, that immediately kind of frightens you. My, my, my plan tonight was to use the text from 2 Timothy 1, 8, 1 7, where it says God has not given us the spirit of fear. I've been wanting to preach about fear or the need to have no fear. And one of the the greatest areas of fear in in a believer's life is the fear to witness for Christ. And I don't know why that is, but it's real. I think all of us could say, at least at some point in my life or today, and maybe you say today just as much as ever, I struggle with the fear of giving out the word of God. If you would start with for one, accepting God at his word and saying, this is what God wants me to do. And then you would add to that prayer and say, God, help me. Instead of speaking evil to this pers- of this person, help me to love them. Help me to be thoughtful. Help me to show compassion to them. Add this to your list of things to pray for. God, help me to be a witness of them. A, a, a fearless, spirit-filled witness for you. And then trust the Lord and do it. There are people all around us that need the gospel. And there are people all around us that just need one person. Just like you, you needed one person to step in and show Christ to you. Where's that who you would have been person? Go find them. Let's find them this week. I'd really encourage you to make a commitment that you'll begin praying, number one. If you're already praying... Don't, don't give in. Keep praying. But along with prayer, I encourage you to find someone this week that you're going to personally share the gospel with. That you're, and be praying about it and looking for them. I've been being more uh, focused on this recently in my life. I, I wanted to preach on witnessing tonight. There's several things I wanted to preach on. It just didn't work out. Me and God didn't agree on it. But I was really convicted a few weeks ago about just my lack of witness. You know, we, we've used COVID for everything. The COVID excuse for everything. Why we can't do this, why we can't do that. And as believers, if you're not careful, you'll add that to the list of things. I can't go witnessing because of COVID, right? I can do everything else. I can talk to people about anything else, but I can't talk about, to them about Christ. But I, I just really got convicted of my, lap, my personal lack. I'll confess to you tonight. My lack of witnessing. And I made a point a few weeks ago or a month or so ago now, and I said, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really get focused on this. And I said, you, you show me someone to witness to today. And I'm trying to remember who the person was. There's been several people since then, but um, there was a couple of people I witnessed to. So one of them was right across the street at church uh, at the gas station. I, I drove. It was after a service. I went over. I needed to get fuel before work in the morning. And I pulled up to the pump, and a guy was sitting in his car, and it was like the Spirit of God said, there he is. Don't miss him. And I got out of my car, and I started pumping my gas, and he had a kind of a nice car, and I'm not not super into cars. In fact, I'm not really into them at all, but red shiny ones look fast to me, so I assumed his was fast too. And uh, so I tried to break the ice, and I made a comment about his car. And uh, he commented on it and this and that. And these were the exact words I prayed. I said, God, I need help here. I'm not very good at this. Sometimes I struggle to, you know, transfer the talk of cars into talk of the gospel. And I I was dressed similar to this. And as soon as I prayed that, he goes, did you just leave church? I said, thank you, Lord. (laughs) That's what I needed. (laughs) And uh, I said, actually, I did. And I I gave him a gospel track and invited him to church and gave him a, a gospel witness. And it was a reminder to me, and there's been several other moments like that just recently. It was a reminder to me That God wants to use us. God didn't tell us these things and then, you know, kick us into the water and say, sink or swim. He said, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to enable you. I'm going to help you. I, I don't want you to have that spirit of fear, but I want you to have the spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. And I'll enable you to do it. Let's take the word of God and let's make it practical in our lives. That we might make a difference and influence the world around us. And that we might find those people who are lost and without God. Those people whom we would have been. And draw them in to Christ. Who showed compassion to us. That he might show compassion to them. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. For the simplicity of scripture. The practicality of truth. Help us now though to transfer it to our hearts and Most importantly, to our actions, may you help us as believers to take this opportunity to commit to you to be better witnesses, to pray for others, to show the love of Christ to whomsoever we see or meet, and to love the unlovable as you loved us. We pray that you give us the strength and grace to do so.